Welcome and a belated Happy New Year to the listeners to the podcast series Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. As you know, this series of podcasts is where we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate and spend 15, 20 minutes chatting to them, getting some insight into their thinking. This is our first podcast of 2024 and to kick things off, I am absolutely delighted to introduce our guest, Natalia Kroll. She's Managing Director. She's Portfolio Manager for the Bearings Emerging Markets Blended Total Return Strategies. And she's a co-manager of the Bearings Emerging Markets Debt Blended Total Return Fund. That fund looks to seek maximum total return consistent with preservation of capital and prudent investment management through high current income generation and where appropriate capital appreciation and the fund was awarded a double A rating by our team of analysts. Natalia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to for have you here on the first podcast of the year. Now, I normally have lots of boring questions that I, I ask everyone in terms of what do they do and how do they do it. But I thought we'd start by asking you a question about interest rates. He held rates last week. The Bank of England and the Fed, I think, are expected to do so over the next coming days. From the point of view of being an emerging markets bond manager, does that have any impact on you or doesn't it? Is it an irrelevance? And, and how do you think about that? Is it is it of import? Of course it does. Of course it does. It does have impacts from several um, from several angles. Um, one is the is the risk attitude of the market, and of course this is determined by our risk free rates. The flows of investors like yourselves um, come to ask to us to emerging market um, managers um, when you are happy with the with the risk outlook. When the risks are high, the Fed rates are high, the ECB rates are high, whatever your domestic market might be, there's no point for you to go and shop abroad, so to speak. But you can get a Fed, you can get a money market at 4 5%. There isn't a reason for anybody to go and explore the outside to the same extent. So, of course, the rate um, as such has a huge impact on, on our market in terms of the flows. Um, the way we look at the, at the outlook for these rates now um, I think we, we have a high conviction in the team that the direction of travel is towards the cutting. Now, how we get there and when precisely we get there, this is where we have a different, you know, multiple views and, 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 and multiple scenarios. In the end of the day, what matters is the direction of that travel and whether we have picked today and we, or we will have picked in a couple of months' time, it, it, you know, it doesn't change the directionality of that view. So that, 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 that is good for us. That is good for, for emerging market asset class. Now, the other thing to, uh, to say on the rates is, so obviously the, 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 these are the central banks of the developed world. The, the central bank of EM, quote unquote, and these are multiple central banks. And if we just generalize them as a central bank of EM, they have, um, they have been ahead of the curve for some time. Some of the countries have started cutting um, way before and were cutting through 2023 mm -hmm. and will continue cutting. Um, and some of them sort of are catching up. But all in, you could say that the emerging world has caught on to that trend way before, uh, way before Europe and US, and so this is one of the themes that we have been exploring in the in in the portfolio in the strategy is the rates side of things for emerging markets. Why do you think that is? Is that because the emerging markets countries themselves and the, the central banks of those countries 
are much more geared up to dealing with more volatile economies and things, and therefore they're much more on it. Probably that's a factor. And also, if you think of the inflation and sort of the attitude towards inflation and how, um, you know, how much more normal it is for emerging markets to go through these inflation cycles of sort of booms and boosts and how much more reaction reactive they yeah. have to be as opposed to to the western world where the cycle is kind of slower and probably it takes take takes a bit longer for the policymakers to get to get onto the case and, and in the last 10 or so years because of quantitative easing I and mean, the western markets have almost not had any cycle at all well exactly while the ems have continued to go through their kind of more normal economic cycle so that's one of the reasons and that's one of the that's one of the themes in the portfolio but then the other question you asked i think it ties very nicely to to, to this is that ems and em debt that we're talking about and and, and the em debt is what we uh, the strategy that, that that we're discussing it's not just one thing it's it's multiple multiple sub asset classes within in 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 fact we think of distinct four within emerging market debt and and um each of them has its own kind of drivers and its own sources of return and alpha generation etc so if you think of the whole em debt it's really for it's the two what we call two local currency subcomponents and this is rate your rates and this is the central bank and how how it behaves in various yeah. countries that it's your effects a foreign exchange in the currency and how you can express your view on that in terms of each individual country balance of payments. And then the two are hard currency um, asset classes. And this is all about the credit worthiness and the credit risk and spread over your Fed rate uh, in the end of the day. And these are the sovereign issues in hard currency dollars. So government bonds and corporate bonds. And so these four asset classes yeah. are distinct. Each individual, one of them has grown substantially over the last you know, decade, couple of decades. Um, and so when people generalize about EM, it's really hard to say, oh, EM is doing this or EM is doing that, because really within that you have four different um, situations developing. And of course, there are some overreaching themes such as, you know, say, geopolitics, et cetera, et cetera. But um, within, within the asset class, there are multiple ways to impress various views, whether it's rates, whether it's view on the credit or anything else. And you're one of three co-managers on this strategy, I think. Correct. You must have, I mean, if you've got that much going on underlying it, those four subsectors, you must have significantly more than just the three of you inputting into what your decision-making process is. How does that work? Uh, the way we are, yeah, exactly. There's three portfolio managers that lead leading the strategy, but kind of we rely heavily and we work with analyst teams. So the way the way Bearings um, EM team is working, actually the whole of Bearings is we are very much a bottom-up investors. So whether it's companies, whether it's high yield companies, investment grade companies, whether it's countries or whether it's rates or effects, um, every single one recommendation that find its way in the portfolio is going to be analyzed individually and scrutinized by the team so of course we we rely on 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 the team and so thinking about how much time we spend on any particular thing by far the majority of our time goes to to the research individual uh, countries companies situations so you've got lots of people doing the individual research on companies and countries but is it the three of you then sit down and have a sort of an overlay from a macro how do you weight that within those ideas it's really everything is team-based it's a we have investment committees where the whole team participates and sort of the the, the ideas are are scrutinized and discussed and challenged um and then of course there is more formal 
process for the strategy that is a blended strategy where we go through asset allocation um, deciding on sort of how we split how we divide the strategy between the uh, corporate sovereign rates FX and then within each individual one there's going to be a top ideas reflected um, that will be the, the the output from the the work of the whole team and just talking about the team talking about the strategy um, and you touched on it or a, a touch at the beginning of the podcast but some listeners might be sitting here thinking emerging markets bonds equals really risky, really volatile. And you said, say, you know, when risk's on, you get, when the risk attitude to the market is on, you get better flow. Why should they consider putting it in their portfolios? And what's what's the, the investment case for EM bonds in the portfolios? Yeah, very good question. And, and a typical misconception, I would say, exactly as you say, EM equals risk, EM equals bet ratings, high yield, junk bonds, et cetera. Actually, if you look under the hood and if you look at our universe and you pick it apart and you say the sovereigns, the countries, you, you maybe have about 90 countries or so plus minus, of those 50 are rated 50%, so half of them are investment rate rated um, sovereigns. Um, so 50 is high yield, of which uh, 22% is double Bs, which is kind of your second best. So you could say easily two thirds of the sovereign sovereign universe is investment grade or double Bs. And these are the solid from the credit perspective um, issuers. In a corporate space, it's even, even, even better from that point of view. So two thirds, 60% of the whole EM corporate universe is actually rated investment grade which is often kind of forgotten by the market that we, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world, some of the biggest producers, commodity um, manufacturers, technology companies, internet, you name it, we, we have it all within the universe and uh, a, a large number of them are very solid balance sheets, you know, triple A's, double A's, not so many triple A's, but, you know, uh, definitely in the A rated and triple B rated. So actually on that risk spectrum, probably below high yields in a lot of instances. We are overall, I would say, predominantly an investment grade asset class, if you just go by percentages. Um, so, so to say EM equals risk from the kind of ratings perspective or credit perspective is, is actually wrong. We do have many other risks that layer on top of us, such as, you know, a lot more volatile politics. We've got the currencies to deal with. We've got sort of all, all, all that kind of stuff. But the credit sort of like for like i would say we're more solid animal compared to high yield for sure and just talking about where you stand at the moment and what you think about at, at the moment and those opportunity sets where do you have your portfolio positioned at the moment what are you thinking about for the next you know 12 months we talked earlier about some of the emerging market countries cutting before we'd even finished raising rates over here in the in the west um, so, so how are you positioning for that, and what do you see the opportunities and the themes in the portfolio at the moment? Yeah, so on the, on the rate side, as I mentioned, um, definitely some of some of this rate cycles were still very much expressing in the portfolio, um, specifically in Europe. So, some countries like Czech, Hungary, to name a few, a couple of Latin countries still on the, on that on that cutting uh, pathway. So, this is one of the themes uh, in terms of um, for the rates sleeve, as we call it, for the say foreign exchange um, and the effects part of the portfolio, there isn't actually a one overriding theme. It's very much a bottom-up country-by-country analysis and balance of payments. It's really hard to generalize and as long as it's shorts and sort of in, in, in combination, I would say it's not 
at the minute, the way it's positioned, it, it's not a very bullish FX portfolio, but it's really a mix, a mix of things. And in the hard currency, um, corporates and sovereigns, again, it's very hard to generalize just giving the range of you know, regions and sectors, especially within the corporate universe, the range of things that you can invest in in terms of anything really. But the theme, I guess, overriding theme for for both of these sleeves in, in the in the last several quarters has been sort of gradual upgrade in quality. So we we don't think this is the given the outlook that we have for the world and the, the range of uncertainties, we don't think it's the time to be heroes and, and reach to the very bottom for the for the yieldiest but somewhat sh you know, shakier situation. So um, we value investment grade at the minute, the way the spreads look. Um, we value good double Bs and generally um, sort of in countries and companies, entities that can sustain um, sort of almost any scenario in terms of how the world develops. And, and the reason we say that is because this year we have the largest number of elections in the world, 64 countries and plus EU that, you know, and then the largest EM election, which is United States of America and the implication it will have for the, for the rest of the world. And so given the potential scenarios, we think it's the time to really be in a slightly more higher quality um, sort of right end of the spectrum. So, so I'm going to that kind of leads on to a, a, a reverse of that question. If you're leading in that sort of higher quality direction, what is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that the team, when they sit down on a Monday morning, going right? Th this is worst case scenario, uh, and and what 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 do you fear most at the moment in the markets? By far, I would say this year is is, is geopolitics. Uh, and, and it continues to be and every exactly as you say every monday we get together and we go have you seen that headline oh my god have you seen that news and and and, and that video and and it's yeah it's a combination of politics and the the range of elections that are happening and um some of the largest countries in our universe you know lots of potentials for surprises maybe not so much surprises but volatility for sure uh and then the geopolitical tensions that We've seen that, we, that we've seen and we continue to see in Russia, Ukraine, and what that means. Um, the Middle East, um, more recently, and what that means, and can it escalate? You know, all, all the multiple scenarios that we can um, that we can in, envisage, and and this this is really what what keeps us. I mean, that would be probably bad for most people in most, whether it's developed or emerging market, bond markets or equity markets. But do you think that there's an element of because of your very wide opportunity set, you can insulate yourself a bit from that because there's lots more opportunity there. You're not just betting on one market or you're not just betting on the, you know, seven biggest companies in the US. For some, that's a major issue. You don't have that problem. 100%. And in every situation when we when we discuss uh, with, with the team, there's always a winners and losers discussion, what it means say attention in middle east what it means for the commodity price what it means for oil prices who is the beneficiary who is the loser and we always given the sort of the extents of the universe we always have candidates on both um ends as you say so it's not all bad or all good necessarily there's there's always a winner at, at, at the other end um we're running short of time which is a shame because i'm thoroughly enjoying the conversation but i'm going to ask you one final question um which is do you have an interesting statistic from the week, something or the last week or two, something that will make the listeners go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. I'll go and put that into my thinking for the for the next week or two. 
so one I saw this morning, um, and it's something that's been kind of going on for a number of weeks, and it's coming back to the Middle East and, and sort of what's happening with the Red Sea and attacks. I'm sure everybody has, has watched on the news. But uh, the number of tankers diverted now from the Suez Canal and having to go around through the Cape of Good Hope and all around Africa is now 100. 100 tankers are diverted. And this is up 45% uh, from last week. Uh, and th these are the tankers filled with crude oil and, and petroleum products. And if you think about petroleum products, so this is your, you know, pump and, and, and the rest of it. These volumes uh, going through Suez Canal are down 70%. The majority of that is going into Europe. And, we, you know, through COVID, we've realized how fragile our our supply chains are in the world and how we are all dependent on one another and i think so far this whole blockage of suez canal has not really found its way yet to some real disruptions on the ground say in europe we haven't seen it in so much in the you know any any inflation numbers or or, or anything else but i think it's just builds up and the statistics like that just kind of reminds me that we need to be wary of that takes a while to filter in because it's another two three weeks journey round exactly it's two three weeks so this is just your disruption for your processes manufacturers etc etc but it also adds 70 to 80 percent cost to the freight of this transportation route and it's probably about 12 percent of the global trade that goes through the route and maybe 30 percent of the containers that are reaching europe so it's it's a frightening kind of statistic that builds up week from week on. I just think we haven't seen yet the impacts of that in, in fullness and what it may mean. And the, and the longer it goes on, the, the worse that, that gets in terms of that inflationary. Exactly. I'd, I'd be very mindful of the whole logistics and kind of logistical. Coincidentally, you know, your other important rule, the Panama Canal, is short of water this year having a drought so they're having their wishes so we have all these logistical um bottlenecks and, and that's that's important interesting uh, well that's a very interesting place to finish uh, today's discussion um it's been thoroughly uh, fascinating uh, all that remains for me is to thank uh, natalia kroll from bearings for her thoughts and insights today and you the listeners for your support um I think I've said it every podcast, and I'm going to keep saying it until someone does it. But if you do want to contact us, please do so through our webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com, or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. And it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.